Hey, good morning, family of grace. Recording this, and I pray that all is well two days from now, because it's the year 2020, and it seems that all bets are off. Um, but uh, do you guys remember the movie Toy Story? I know some of you guys were alive when that movie came out, but there's and I'm they've seen it on Disney Plus. It's this spectacular Pixar story of two toys really searching for their identity. And I love it. Early in the movie, there's this fantastic middle school style fight where the spaceman Buzz Lightyear has just in, been introduced to Andy's room. And Woody, the special toy, is feeling really insecure about this new guy. And so Woody is trying to make Buzz out to be less great than he actually is. And it's like, he's not a real spaceman. He can't fly. And Buzz says, oh, bam, out go his wings. And everyone's like, ooh, that's impressive. And not to be impressed. Woody's like, ah, oh, they're plastic. He can't fly. And Buzz retorts, they are trillium carbonic alloy and I can fly. Woody's like, no, you can't. Buzz says, yes, I can. You can't. I can. You can't. 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 But he says, I can fly around this room with my eyes closed. And Woody responds, all right, Mr. Lightbeer, prove it. Which, of course, is how almost every middle school fight like that goes. We boast and we brag, and finally someone calls the bluff and says, fine, prove it. Show me. Now, I don't know how you guys do with tests. Some of you guys are kind of eager and, and it excites you. And some of you guys, a test is a debilitating, nervous thing. I, I always did good on like written tests in school, but, but some of the others I failed miserably at. Uh, there was one particular, and the stakes were really high. It was my driving test for my commercial driver's license. And I really needed to pass the test because... If I didn't pass the test, then I would lose my job that I'd just gotten. And if I lost my job, then I'd lose those medical benefits. And if I lost my medical benefits, then my pregnant wife would be really upset with me. And so I needed to pass the test. And I showed up and my, the guy who was going to administer the test to me comes out and he is this weather beaten older guy and I am scared of him because he's my judge. And, and I'm doing the test as best I can. And unfortunately, there's this crucial part of a commercial driver's license test if you have air brakes. If you fail this safety check, you fail the test. Doesn't matter if you aced everything. It's an automatic disqualification. And I mentally cross-threaded the instructions from chapter 5 and chapter 11 and didn't do either of them exactly as they were supposed to be done. And I failed the test. And this scary guy all of a sudden kind of turned into a softy with a big heart for young men who were in trouble. And he told me, this is what you need to do. He says, go home and just read this one chapter. Don't worry about any of the rest and read it twice a day, every day for two weeks and come back and test again. You should do fine. And I was just like, okay. So two weeks later, I show up. I'm more relaxed this time. I feel more prepared. And he is more relaxed. And it was really kind of him. He comes up to me and says, now, now, before the test begins, is there anything that you'd like to know? 
<laughs> Basically, I'll give you all the answers until it's judgment time. And then I'm going to be your, your instructor. You know, that judgment time, it, it's something we all have to deal with. But a little grace goes a long way. That's kind of where Paul the Apostle is with the Corinthian church. <clears throat> he's going to let them know that he's on his way. He's coming to visit them. And he's trying to extend some grace to them at first before judgment time. Now, remember, for the first seven chapters, Paul's been defending his apostleship and his ministry that God's given him to people who largely are on Paul's side. Chapters 8 and 9, Paul reminded them that they're going to be making a collection for a church that's in need. And then in chapters 10 through 13, Paul has been going after his detractors, after these people who say that Paul's not a real apostle of Jesus. And Paul says, I am. God's given me authority over this church, and these guys are fools. They're coming up with their own standards, and that's not a good thing to do. In fact, they are, chapter 11, they are counterfeits. They're frauds. They are actually servants of Christ, not, I mean, servants of Satan, not servants of Christ. And then last week, we looked at Paul's epic, foolish boasting, where Paul boasts like a fool in the eyes of God by saying, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, I'm an offspring of Abraham, these things that the world really values <laughs> and just God's not impressed by. And he boasts like a fool in the eyes of the world by saying, I am weak, I am not impressive, I have suffered so many things for the sake of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Because when I'm weak, then the power of God has the opportunity to shine through my life. And that brings us to chapter 11, verse 12, where we're going to pick up today. Paul says, look, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. This is all your fault. I ought to have been commended by you because I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles, which is a great Pauline way of not only showing that Paul is humble, but of kind of slamming your opponents at the same time. Persevered in true apostles including signs and wonders and miracles. You, you guys had no lack in my to you. Now, how were you inferior to the other churches? Except that I was never a burden to you. <sighs> Forgive me this wrong for not taking your hard-earned cash. I'm ready to visit you for a third time. And I will not be a burden for you. Because what I want, it's not your possessions. But you, you're what I'm after, not your stuff. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. That's how Paul sees these, these Corinthian church as his spiritual children. He loves them. He says, so I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. I will hold nothing back for your sake. But if I've loved you more, are, are you going to love me less? Like, what, what's your problem? But be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you yet. Oh, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery, you say? Did, did I exploit you through any of the men that I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Did, Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? And then Paul says something really interesting after saying that he and Titus and everyone else, that they acted the same. He says, have you been thinking 
all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? If I was reading that letter, I'd go, yeah, actually, that's exactly what I thought. This verse caught me by surprise uh, a while ago when I first kind of discovered it. It's like, wait, that's not what you've been doing? Because, you know, in chapter one, you, you said that the Corinthians should boast in you just as you'll boast of them in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in chapter four and five, you talked about this ministry God gave you and you're commending yourselves before everyone in the sight of God. You've not been defending yourself? I thought that was exactly what you were doing. And then Paul tells us what he's been about. He says, no, we've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. We have been trying to build you up, Paul says. Yes, I think it's, it's very clear he has been defending his ministry. But it's not to try to defend himself. It's trying, it's doing this in order to build them up. This is Paul's maybe undercover uh, boss moment. You guys remember that show where a CEO goes and works on like the front lines as a, as a newbie who needs trained? And these managers of these stores think that they're just training some new hire. Turns out that is the CEO of the company. And he's not there to actually learn how to do the job. He's there to learn how to run a better business so the whole business might prosper. And in a similar way, Paul has been defending his apostleship as a way of strengthening this church. Before God, God knows this is what Paul's motive and heart has been all along. It's been about the Corinthians. It's been for their sakes. They're the ones he's thinking of here. And now Paul gives him a little bit of warning. He says, look, for I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you to be as I want you to be. You may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Not really sure who's throwing that fit of rage. Selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. These are sins that, that in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he talks about their sexual sin. Their, their debauchery, their impurities. Like, he's been calling them to repent of this for a while. He says, when I show up, these people might make me really sad and I might be humiliated. Because remember in chapters 8 and 9, Paul says when he comes, he's actually bringing a delegation. He's bringing a number of men representing churches in Macedonia. And he has bragged about the Corinthian church to them extensively. And so if he shows up and they are continuing to live in open and unrepentant sin, Paul's going to be humiliated in the eyes of others. And he's like, I'm afraid of that. God might do that to me. And I'm going to be grieved over you guys who have not repented. And the warning again, this will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Appeal to um, mosaic law. You can't convict someone just because one person says up and says, I saw them do this. You need a couple witnesses to corroborate the evidence. This is my third visit to you. I've already given you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it 
while absent. Listen very carefully. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. Turns out the Corinthians leveled a charge to Paul. Prove it. Prove that you're a genuine apostle. Paul, and Paul says, okay, next time I come, we're going to make this happen. I won't spare anyone. <laughs> I don't want to. I, I warned you, and I'm warning you. Don't make me do this. But the test is going to come. So before it begins, there might be some stuff that you need to know and you need to do. Judgment is coming. He says, you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, but Christ is not weak in dealing with you. He is powerful among you. He's been working miracles among you. He's been giving you guys spiritual gifts. You guys have Christ powerfully working among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. God raised him from the dead. Likewise, in the same way, we are weak in Christ. We were just talking about that. Yet, by God's power, we will live with him in our dealings with you. Paul's not messing around. So examine yourselves, he says to the Corinthian church, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. I trust that you will know that, no, Jesus is at work in me. I want you guys to test yourselves. Is Christ in you? Unless, of course, he's not. And now we pray to God. <laughs> we pray, please, that you will not do anything wrong. That's what we want. And not so that people will see that we have stood the test. We're not carrying, uh, we don't care about our reputation. But so that you will do what is right, even though we seem failed. Because we can't do anything against the truth, before the truth. Like Paul is in service to God and to God's truth. And so whether that means that Paul can commend people who have, you know, lived their lives in accordance with God's truth, or maybe Paul needs to rebuke this church because they have failed to live in accordance with God's truth. Paul says, we're servants of Christ. We serve the truth. We can't do anything against it, whether it ends up humiliating us or not. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer, our, our joy would be that you would be fully restored, that you would be made complete and whole. That's what we want. Because these people who have come in are damaging you. We want to see you restored. This is why I write these things when I'm absent. So that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. I love it. It's like, I'm writing to you because I don't want to punish you. I don't want to be harsh in my authority. I want to strengthen you. I want to build you up. I don't want to have to tear you down. And so finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Be glad Strive for full restoration. Same word he used two verses other. Try to be complete. Push, push into it. Strive towards it. And encourage one another. And be of one mind. And live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. Ancient talk way of saying, when you see someone for whom Christ has died, who loves and follows Jesus, greet them warmly because they matter. All God's people here send their greetings. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And we have reached the end of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians with Paul commending them to the presence of God with them. He's told the church, examine yourselves. Is Christ with you? He says, you know, be at peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. And he concludes with a reminder that the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit be with you. Always. Amen. So as we look at this final section, we just summarize it like this. Paul's third visit to the Corinthians. It's going to be a time of judgment and restoration. The church has not been doing well. Paul's going to set things right. But the test is coming and they should be ready. And so what they need to do. So the Corinthians should examine whether Christ is present among them. And here's how they need to look for repentance of sin and they should acknowledge Paul as their apostle. These are two things he tells them to do. Like, look, I'm showing up and if there's impurity, sexual sin, debauchery, <laughs> jealousy, fits of anger, like, we'll take care of it. It'll be okay. I, I am fine dealing with that. But test yourselves. Hopefully you'll repent and I won't have to be harsh in my use of authority. I'd much rather this be a time of rejoicing and gladness in our reunion because this stuff has been taken care of. It kind of reminds me when I was a teenager, my, we finally got enough to be left at home all day and my parents would head off to work. And they'd tell us before they left, these are the, our expectations of what you're going to do today. These are your chores. And we wouldn't do them. And then they call us at noon, check in and see how we're doing and say, have you done your chores yet? <laughs> what chores? No, no, we didn't. And then came the ultimatum. Look, when dad gets home, they'd better be done. Or you might not like your visit with him. And he might not really enjoy his visit with you. And so, generally speaking, we wouldn't do anything until about 4.30 p.m. And then it's like the thrusters were lit and we'd tear around the house trying to get, you know, a day's worth of work done in 30 minutes. And uh, that what Paul is doing. It's the warning. I don't want to be harsh with, in my use of authority. But for us guys, I think we can summarize this passage with this. Let's find joy in showing that the king lives with us. Let's find joy in the presence of God with us. That's Paul's challenge to the Corinthians. Is Christ among you? Prove it. You're so happy that you are Jesus followers. You're so glad that you have God's spirit among you. These are things that you're boasting of. All right, fine. It's time for you to prove it. The test is coming on its way. And guys, for us, this should be a joy because there's nothing like taking a test that you are totally ready to ace. So here's how. Here's how we can, we can prove the presence of Christ among us. There's a couple ways. First, let's respond with the Corinthians. They were going to test themselves. And here's the two metrics they were given. 
Do they repent of sin and do they acknowledge Paul as their apostle? So for us, do we repent of sin and do we submit to God's word? You know, Paul's been dead for a very long time, but we have his words. We have his letters. We have the words written by people who walked and talked with Jesus before his death, while he was being crucified, and after God had raised him from the dead. Do we submit to God's word and do we repent of sins? Here's some questions we can ask ourselves. One, are we living in open sin? Are you? Am I? There are certain lifestyles that even non-Christians know are not acceptable for people who claim to follow Jesus. Are we living like that? Or maybe it's not an open sin, but are we unrepentant of anything? Are there sins that have a hold of their lives, a uh, hold of our lives? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's some stuff that we're just addicted to. We wouldn't say that we're addicted to it, but other people close to us might. And it's damaging our relationships with them. Maybe we've stolen some stuff from some people. We haven't made it right yet. Maybe we've told some lies to some people. We haven't made it right yet. Maybe we're just really dissatisfied about our lifestyle and we can't look at good things in other people's lives without getting really bitter and angry about it. And, and that's not okay. Are there, are there sins? Are there things that are not in accordance with the way that God has blessed us in Jesus Christ that we haven't repented of? Questions worth asking. Are we restored with other Christ followers? Are we at one with God's people or are there fits of anger and jealousies and gossip? Are we talking about other people behind their back? Are we, are we putting each other down? Or are we playing the one-upsmanship game? Are, are, there, are there strife and jealousies and, and arguments that have not been settled? Those are some things that we need to figure out. Does the word of God convict our heart? When we hear the scriptures read, when we hear them spoken, sung, when we read them, when we listen to them, does something within our heart well up and say, yes, that applies to me. That is me. God is my father and oh, and those are things that I need to change. These are all evidences, marks of God's presence among his people. A conviction of sin and a reception to God's word. Because that's the problem. Our hearts were hard. We were dead and living life without God. But God in his grace saved us and put his spirit within our hearts. So now we call God our father. Now we can finally turn from our sins and through his power actually begin to live out a righteous kind of life. This is the gospel. So hopefully, you know, the first two are not true of us. That we don't live in open sin, that we are very repentant. And, and the last two, maybe, hopefully we are at one with God's people. Hopefully the word of God does convict our hearts. These are marks and metrics of God's presence among us. But if these things aren't true, if we're living in sin, if we're not restored with Christ's followers, if God's word just doesn't do anything in our hearts, we don't feel any conviction, then maybe Christ isn't in us. Maybe we need to repent and call on God and ask him for his grace and his mercy in our lives and turn from living life our own way and, and commit ourselves to following Jesus through the empowerment of God and the help of his people. These are some of the standards I think Paul would have us do. 
Let's prove Christ's presence among us by the way that we handle sin and handle God's word. But not just the Corinthians, let us respond with imitating Paul as well. Paul who does everything to build the church up. I mean, just in this passage this morning, we've seen Paul talk about how sacrificially he's given to the church. He's not been a burden to them. He gives to them. He is willing to be humiliated for their sake. He is willing to be seen as a total failure. And what he wants to do is to use his authority over them to build them up. But he's willing to discipline them. And he's warning them and he's encouraging them and he's blessing them. And his love for them is just so apparent. (laughs) He cares for them like a father cares for his children. And so for us, are we serving God's people? Are we loving God's people? Do our fellow Christians matter to us? Are we concerned with the health of the church community? Do we, do we think about where people are at? We haven't heard of, from people. We don't know what's going on in in with each other. Do we, do we see people following Jesus and celebrate that and encourage that and walk alongside them towards Jesus? Are we, are we just the way that our, our sins or our gossip or our lack of love might be damaging the health of the church? These are questions to ask. So my, my challenge for us today, for you guys today, is, is what am I going to do today to invest in or to continue to invest in serving and loving the members of Family of Grace? And I say Family of Grace, this church, because we, we all have circles of responsibility. Family of Grace is your home church, if these are people with whom you have committed to walk towards Jesus together with, then serve them, then love them, and let this be your first church community to use your gifts to build up, um, to build others up. So what, what today? Maybe, maybe it's, I'm going to go hang out with people. Maybe it's, I'm going to call and check in with people. Maybe it's, I know someone's a little bit short on cash right now, and I'm going to bless them or help them someone needs help cleaning or or doing a project or need a tool or please be creative because I don't know the details of of your life and I don't know the details of everyone else's life here but if if God's working on your heart that there's a way that you can bless somebody today that you can invest in serving and loving a member of family of grace please do that today because God has been so good to us because God has loved us and has chosen to be with us. That's the great hope that Paul has been talking about throughout 2 Corinthians. In chapters 1 through 7, he's been talking about his apostleship. He's been talking about the history of reconciliation that God has given him. This new covenant, this glorious gospel that Paul carries around in a weak and failing body. And all of it, Paul concludes in chapter 6 by highlighting promises that God has made to his people to be their God, to live with them, and to walk among them. And here in Corinthians, Paul reminds us about the fact that God wants to be with us. The God of love and peace will be with you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And let us not be afraid to prove it. But let us find joy, find delight in showing that the King lives with us, that He's among us by the way that we repent of our sin, by the way that we submit to God's Word, by the way that we love and serve other people the way that Jesus did. 
Jesus did, because God has been so good to us. And he has given so many things to us so that we can turn and bless others with them. So guys, you know, we talk a lot about God being with us, but today, let's prove it. Let's prove it. Let me bless you. Heavenly Father, I pray and I ask that you would bless members of the family of grace. Lord, Lord Jesus, may your grace abound in them. Father, may your love overflow to them. And Holy Spirit, may you bring sweet fellowship among them even today. Because God, we need your presence with us. Because if you're not with us, what are we doing? Father, we need your spirit in us, convicting us of our sins. Helping us to submit to your word. Helping us to love and serve one another. And so Lord, I pray for courage and boldness today. That we would do everything to build up your church that we might risk having a hard conversation in, in a confrontation if that is what is needed for someone else to be built up. That we might risk giving sacrificially, trusting that you're going to take care of us if that's what it takes to build up your church. Father, I pray that we would take such delight in serving others and in submitting to you, knowing that it's your presence with us that empowers all these things. So Father, bless the people. I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me.